But I'm glad that you're here. I want to I begin by reading um, uh, a passage from Luke chapter 11. And so I'm going to read, and then typically what, what we do is I pray for us um, through kind of our needs, but, but this morning we're going to do it a little different, and um, I'll explain that as we go. But, but listen to Luke chapter 11 uh, here as we begin. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And Jesus said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, let, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who asked him? Who ask him? So we are, um, I think that's helpful. I think the Lord's Prayer has been the... Um, the refrain of the church throughout the centuries, and it's good for us to, to join in with the saints of old in, in praying the same things. And so um, hopefully that's helpful. Use that, uh, pray, pray that prayer often. Um, so what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna continue. So this is part 10 uh, in the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so again, I don't, I don't really know how much longer we're gonna go. I, I think this week and next week I, I have... Um, planned out, and then I would imagine two to three sermons after that. So maybe 15, um, and then, then we'll see where we go after that. Um, but I, I do think, like I, like I said last week, I think it's helpful for us as we're working through and, and breaking this down. And so last week, uh, if you weren't with us, we began looking at this, this pattern of the Christian life or, or pattern of growth and, and kind of how, how we've, the, the, the subheading, so we're looking at the work of the Spirit, but the subheading is um, how the Spirit transforms His people. And so we've been looking specifically at how the Spirit transforms us, so how we grow, how we develop spiritually. And so we looked at this process of, of a, a progressive process of, of growing in holiness. We looked at that several weeks ago. And then we've been looking at, at, at sub-points of how that works. And so last week, um, I kind of laid out that this, this growth process has two aspects or two sides. There's the negative and there's the positive. So last week, if, if you will remember, um, we looked at the negative side. So we put sin to death. We put off the old self. We, we avoid certain vices, the works of the flesh. And so, so there's a negative side where we're against the old man, the old self. And, and so part of our Christian growth is learning to identify and then to mortify and so that was the pattern. If you remember, there was, I used an illustration of our three-year-old who loves dressing up like superheroes um, and, and used him as the illustration. When he has his costume on, his identity, he really believes he's a different person, that he is the costume that he has on. 
And so I use that illustration to say as Christians, when, when we become new creations, when we are born again, we are actually different people. We we're transformed, we're changed, and the Christian life is learning to pursue that new identity. Okay, and so, so that's the, the new identity, the work of the Spirit in, in causing us to be born again, then leads to a lifelong process of pursuing this new identity. So there are things that are not fitting with our new identity. There's things we, we put off. And then there are things that do fit with our new identity that we are to pursue. And so that's the positive side. So all we're going to do this morning is look at the positive aspect of Christian growth. Okay, so look at the positive side. We're still under this, this pattern of growth. There's negative and positive. So we're focusing on positive. And so like I said, that this pattern with the positive and negative, growth in the Christian life is based on the fact that we are new people. That we've been born again. We've been made new. We've been raised to walk in newness of life. And so we're different people, and the process of growth is based on pursuing and living out our new identities. Okay, and so we don't, we don't like, like my son, we don't take, our, take off our costume and put on another one. No, our costumes are who we are. We are really different people. And so we want to look at the, the positive elements of, of this growth. So last week, again, we, we worked through negative, this week positive. That's enough for that. Um, so last week, if you remember at the very beginning, I said that the kind of the, the most encompassing aspect of, Christ, of the negative aspect was, was mortification. And so all the other subpoints were kind of under this, this putting to death or killing or being against sin. Well, as we look at the positive, the most encompassing positive aspect is the flip side of mortification. That's the positive vivification. Now, that, that, that term is not used other than really in theological discussions, but, but it's simply the, the, the putting to life or the, the living, the, the opposite of mortifying is to vivify, to, to life give. Uh, and so the, the, the reason I've organized the, the sermon last week and this week is because these two aspects um, are always going to be in flux. They, they occur simultaneously and continuously throughout your Christian life. So it's not like you become a Christian and then you say, okay, I've put to death all the deeds of the flesh. I've, I've passed that hurdle. Now all I have to do is put to life. No, it's a constant flux. And so every day you're, you're, you're seeking to destroy sin that's, that's, that's rearing its head in your life. So you're constantly mortifying. You're constantly vivifying. You're, you're, you're doing both of these at the same time and you will continue to do so until you are face to face with the Lord, whether, whether you close your eyes in death or whether he returns. Uh, in which case, you, you will, the struggle will be over. That, uh, that's the hope. That's the hope of the return of Christ or us departing from our bodies and being with the Lord is we, we don't battle the flesh anymore and we, we await a resurrected, a perfect, glorified body. Um, and so let's, let's look at kind of this, this aspect of vivification. One, one author defines vivification in this way. He says, as mortification involves the putting to death, of the members of the old man and his deeds. So vivification is the work of God in the progressive strengthening and growth of the new man and his deeds in an increase in the spiritual strength and power of the gracious nature and principles bestowed in regeneration. Okay, so, so that's, that's one, one author's definition. So this idea of vivification or, or living naturally flows from our new identity, from our new birth. Uh, as I mentioned last week, when, when new life begins, there's a natural pattern. So wh- whether it's plants, may- maybe you have some plants that are growing now, um, whether it's plants or, or birds, 
right? So we, we have a nest in one of our plants at our house and there's, there's six little eggs in it. And we're, we're watching this process because when, when the eggs crack and we start hearing the little peeps, we're, we're gonna say, well, look, look at the baby birds and there's gonna be a, a progress. Or whether it's humans, birth is followed by growth. That, that's the natural process. And in a similar way here, as we're looking at vivification, there is a natural life that results from the new birth. And just like we don't make ourselves born, we're passive. So no one here said, now's the time for me to be born. We, we, we're born. We're passive. And in a similar way, we aren't the primary source of vivification. Right? We are progressively strengthened by the work of God, as, as the definition mentioned. Okay? And so, so as, as we've made clear throughout this, hopefully that the spirit is the necessary agent in this transformation. If he doesn't do it, we don't grow. We are dependent on the Lord. This is a fundamental principle of the Christian life. And so in your own life, or, or think about the life of, of a spouse, or maybe your children, or for, for some of you, maybe your grandchildren or, or great-grandchildren. Now, if you're a Christian, it's safe to assume that, that you want those in your life that you love to grow. If they're Christians, you want them to mature and develop. That, that should be a desire of yours. That's a good desire. However, a fundamental principle of Christian growth is that you can't do it. You can't make yourself grow. You can't make those you love grow. This is, this is somewhat uh, a freeing as a parent. I can't raise my kids in a perfect way that ensures they become Christians and then mature. I, I can't do that. You can't give the perfect counsel or quote the perf- perfect Bible verse to a, a troubled friend to make sure that they, that they get it. At the end of the day, this, this is the Apostle Paul, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And so we plant and we water and we plant and we water and we plant and we water and we plant and we water, but at the end of the day, it's God through his spirit who must give the growth. And so we just have to recognize here as we, we, we look at vivification and next week as we look at, Lord willing, that the means of growth, we are to pursue them. We have a responsibility, but fundamentally, foundationally, we don't grow unless the Lord works. It's, I think it's Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain, right? Unless the Lord gives growth, you who pursue spiritual disciplines, you who try to encourage others, you're doing it in vain unless the Lord gives growth. And so this idea of vivification is kind of the, 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 the umbrella here. So, so let's look at some of these categories of progress or, or, from, or, or of positive growth. And so we're just going to work through a handful of passages so you can write them down. I'll read some of them, um, but, but let's, let's look through. So, so first subcategory here, we have putting on the new self. And so last week, the negative, it was putting off the old. Well, this week, there's the, the other side of the coin is putting on the new. And so I'm going to read Ephesians 4. In this passage, we in verse 17 through verse 24. Listen to Paul as he, as he writes. He's beginning verse 17. Now this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you, writing to the Christians at Ephesus, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They, that is those who don't know God, are darkened in the understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So that's, that's the, the Gentiles, the former way. Verse 20, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So what's this 
This pro- so learning Christ changes things, verse 22. When you learn Christ, you learn to, Paul says, verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And, verse 23, positive, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so, so there's two aspects here, the renewing of your mind, which we'll, we'll mention in a, in a minute. But secondly, the, the second thing is putting off, uh, putting on of the new self. Okay, just like put off the old, put on the new. Right? And so, so Paul is commanding not only put off the old, right? But that's not enough. That, that's necessary, but that's not enough because if you put off the old, but you don't put on the new, right? You, the, the, it, it's not, you haven't done the job. Right? Putting off the old is not enough. It's necessary, but not enough. Christians must put on the new self. And as Paul explains, the new self has been created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, so this is the pattern of the new life. It's a gradual pursuit and growth in righteousness and holiness. The Christian's growth is towards godliness. That, that's that's the, the road that we're on. That's, that's the path that we are trotting because the new self is created to be like Christ. We're born again and made to be like Christ. And so progress in the Christian life is made where our lives are gradually transformed into that image, into his image. Sometimes it's slow, most times it's difficult, but all the time it is the direction of the Christian. This goes back to the idea that there, there are things that are fitting for the Christian and there are things that are not fitting for the Christian. So if you look up in, in verse 20 of Ephesians 4, right, Paul, he, he describes the way of the Gentiles and he says, you don't live as the Gentiles because that's not how you learned Christ. Paul wants his readers to know that learning Christ, that, that, that coming to him, that, that being united to him changes things. That when you become a Christian and you know Christ, your way of life, your very identity is changed. That union shows up that union show, your union with Christ is just the beginning of the process of learning from Christ. And so the way of the Gentiles is incompatible with the Christian life because as Christians learn from Christ, they are transformed into his image and likeness. And so Paul says, you don't live like you used to. There's a new life. There's a new way and you're to pursue and put on this new self because that's, that's who you are now. There's the same dynamic that, that's found in Colossians 3. Again, we, we mentioned this last week, but, but I'll just, I'll read it again. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 5, Paul says, Put to death, so there's a negative, therefore what is earthly in you, namely sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them. Right, that, that's the old man, the old self, but, verse 8 now you must put them all away. Seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices, verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is, he says, explains, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Verse 12 of Colossians 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And, and so in the similar language as Ephesians 4, growth here in Paul's estimation in the Christian life is dependent on putting off the old and putting on the new. There are things that Christians pursue. One pastor explained it this way. 
And so after you hear the voice of Christ and you're made alive and brought to faith in him and you enter into his school to let him teach you how to live, the first thing he says to you is change your clothes. Take off the old person and put on the new person. So maybe that phrase will help you. Take off your, change your clothes. When you become a Christian, you change your clothes. You, you take off the old and you put on the new. And so I wonder how many of us are content living in our soiled, stinky, tattered old clothes. Content to give free reign to our old habits or patterns. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, impurity. Those are old clothes. If you're a Christian, you don't wear those anymore. You don't live in those anymore. You're not content to smell your stinky clothes anymore. You've put on new clothes. That that attire is incompatible with the Christian's new identity because Christians learn from Christ. And so following Christ means changing your clothes, putting on the new self, living in accordance with godliness and righteousness. And so there's the the putting on. Another idea here from the New Testament in terms of positive, um, the process is, is simply describing the Christian uh, progress as growth or, or maturity. So, so it's growing or maturing is another pattern and another way that, that Christians are to grow positively. We grow and we mature. That, that, that's, that's what happens in our lives. So, so listen to 1 Peter 2. I'll read um, verses 1 through 3 of 1 Peter 2. So here's Peter. Listen to the dy- dynamic. He says, so put away, right? That language is familiar. Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Put it away. What are you to do? The, the, the opposite or, or the contrary? Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Verse 3, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. And so Christian maturity is described as, as growth. Here Peter says growing up into salvation. Now here Peter says that growth comes from longing for, for pure spiritual milk, which in the context, I think it's clear that Peter's referring to, to God's word as that which is pure and spiritual, the sustenance of the Christian. Um, we'll come back to that next week, Lord willing. Um, but, but the point is that, that this idea is that as you drink this pure spiritual milk, you grow. That, that's, that's evidence of progress. Christians are to grow. Second uh, Peter, verse uh, verse 18 of chapter 3. So Second Peter 3, 18, Peter says, uh, this is the end, this is his final, his salutation. He charges the, the Christians there, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the, the call, grow. Peter identifies the need for Christians to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. This, this is a mark of maturity. You grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is not a static reality. You grow in grace and knowledge. Believers are to grow in it until the day they die. Growing, in this, in this sense, is not optional. It's essential for Christians. We grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the process. It's positive. We, we improve or progress. Paul makes a similar point at the beginning of 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 1, verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians. He says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because... Your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. 
And so Paul says that we're, we're giving thanks to you because of what's happening. What's happening, your faith is growing abundantly. And so Paul says, I'm going to give thanks to you for that because you are progressing, you are growing. And connected with that, your love for one another is growing. You can't miss that connection. Christian maturity uh, shows itself in, in my love for the brothers and sisters. Uh, so growing faith, again, here in 2 Thessalonians, growing faith is a mark of Christian maturity. And this is what growing as a Christian means. The result of, of normal Christian development. You put on the new self. You grow in your faith. And then your lives, your, your actions follow suit. You live in accordance with your new identity. One, one author, here, here's a quote I came across, um, which listen to how he describes the, the process of growth. He says, the law of growth applies, therefore, in the realm of Christian life. Okay, so the law of growth, he, he's going to explain. God is pleased to work through process. And to fail to take account of this principle in the sanctification of the people of God is to frustrate both the wisdom and the grace of God. Okay, so he's just saying, hey, there's a process of growth. That, that's how God works. That's the means that God uses this progressive process. He continues, the child who acts as a man is a monstrosity. And the man who acts as a child is a tragedy. If this is true in nature, how much more in Christian behavior? There are babes in Christ, there are young men, and there are old men. And so, so wherever you are in this process, there is a, a space or a, a, a place on the path that is fitting for you. You don't have to be as mature as, as the other person. Right? When you become a Christian, it's not like I know everything. That that's, there's a process, and, and it is a natural progression. And so we, especially so if you're a believer, you have to be careful not to expect babes to act like grown men. We need to be patient with them all, bearing with them all, encouraging. And also when, when a mature man is acting like a babe, there, there needs to be rebuke sometimes. Right? But, but we deal accordingly because there is a growth process. God transforms us as he sees fit. There are natural expectations that come with growth. And this is true for Christians just like it is for humans and so putting on the new self and growing or maturing, these are two different ways that the New Testament talks about this, this positive side. I have, a, I think, two more to mention. The, the third one is, is the idea of transformation. So Christians are described as those who have been or are being transformed. And, and so this idea of transformation is another way that we grow positively. And there's, there's two passages where this verb of, of transformed is used. Okay, so, so it's one Greek verb that means transformed. And so they, I'm going to read you the two places in the New Testament where it's, where it's, where it's, uh, where it's uh, uh, not interpreted, translated, translated for transformed. So the first one is 2 Corinthians 3.18. We've looked at this verse several times, but Paul says, And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, that, that's the word, transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Okay, so, so again, we, we go back and listen to, to a prior sermon. As we behold the glory of the Lord, the new covenant ministry of the Spirit is a display of the glory. Um, as, as we behold that, we are transformed, we're changed. Okay, so that's the first place. Second place where it's used is Romans 12, where Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and and perfect. And so in both cases, the idea of transformation or change, that's what he's conveyed. Okay, and so that, that's where I'm getting this idea of Christians are transformed. Another, another word that, that could be used is, is metamorphosis, right? This change, this, tra- this deep-seated change. And this describes the process of Christian growth. Christians are transformed. And so, and so as we think about transformation, this idea is even more involved than the idea of putting off and putting on. Right? This goes deeper than just changing your clothes. This is a transformation in, in who you are at your core, and so, and what, what further confirms this, which I found fascinating, is that so in Romans 12 and 2 Corinthians 3 are the only places where, where in the New Testament that, that are used, where that verb is used to describe the, a transformation, right? Other than the only two other instances, okay, so this, this verb, the same Greek verb is used four times. We've covered two of them. And it's where Paul says you're transformed, right? 2 Corinthians 3 and Romans 12. The only other two places in the New Testament where this verb is used is in Matthew 17 and Mark 9. Okay, so if you know your gospel stories, Matthew 17 and Mark 9 both recount the same occurrence. And in, in those gospel accounts, in both cases, the same verb is not translated transformed, but it's translated transfigured. Right? So it's the same Greek verb that's used where Jesus is transfigured. Remember when he takes the disciples up on the mountain and, and he's transfigured on the mount. And so, especially in Mark's account, the, the, the description of the transfiguration, it's a, it's a total change in his appearance. And, and, and this is a different person who's been transfigured. There's a glory about him that wasn't there a moment before. And so I say all this to simply make the point that Christians are transfigured. It's the same root word. It's the same idea. Christians undergo a fundamental transformation of character and conduct, right? We are transformed when we become a Christian, when we're born again, we're, we're transformed away from the old and into the new, right? Or away from the world and into the image of Christ. Christians grow, Christians are transformed. And so as, as we move to this, I, I, there's one more, one more aspect of positive growth, but just note this transformation is total and complete. And so, so as we saw earlier in, in Ephesians 4, but also here in Romans 12, there is this renewing of the mind. So you remember both of those mentioned be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Ephesians 4, 20, 23, be, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. In Romans 12, be transformed how? By the renewal of your mind. So in both cases, the renewal of the mind is a crucial aspect of Christian growth, which means I, I think a, a main takeaway from that is simply that it's more than merely external moral change. Right? It's, it's never less than changing your clothes, but it's more than that. It goes deeper than that. In fact, one, one translation of Romans 12, 2 says, says this, translates the, the verse this way. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. Right? So, so that, that conveys the idea that there's a transformation that begins from the inside with your mind, with, with your being, and it works its way out. It's a transformation from inside out. Now we'll say more about this next, next week, but, but we should note that in both of these passages, these, these verbs are in a passive tense. So, so they're what are called passive imperatives. And so, so if, I, if I say, be renewed, right? You're passive in that. Or be transformed, 
Paul doesn't say, renew your own mind or transform yourself. It's a passive imperative. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds or be transformed by the renewal of your mind, which highlights, which we'll see next week, that God has to do it. God has to transform our minds. God has to renew our minds. It's not something that we can produce or conjure up within ourselves. God does it, which is why when, when, we, are, when we are stagnant, right, we don't say, well, I've got to double down on my effort. That may be necessary, but before you go there, you better double down on pleading with the Lord to, to work, to change, to, to move, to awaken, to, to do whatever he has to do to, to get you alive and, and sensitive and affections lit up within you. God has to do it. And sometimes, this is why Christian biographies are so helpful. Sometimes God, for whatever purposes he sees fit, will, will, will let the Christian go through dark nights of the soul, as, as some of the Puritans would use. Sometimes God, for no other reason than to, than to show your need for him, will, will remove his presence from me so that you know I need him. As of no fault of yours, no, no sin in your life, but, but simply to show you your need for him. And so maybe that's the case. And we should all the more plead with him to draw near, to be near, to, to claim, cling to the promises, things that you know that are true. He hasn't abandoned you, he hasn't forsaken you. But God has to work. Well, the final positive aspect of Christian growth that I want to mention here is, is the, the other side of the vices to be avoided. We have virtues to be pursued. Okay, so, so just like the negative where here's things that are, that are fitting with the, the works of the flesh, right? the old way of life, these are vices and Christians don't live in these things, we don't pursue these things. Well, the positive side is we pursue these things instead. And, and we, we should note that it, if you just avoid without replacing, right, you're, you're, you're not going to have a permanent change. In fact, I wasn't going to or, or share this, but I, th I think there's, there's a, Thomas Chalmers wrote a, wrote a sermon, which is a fascinating sermon, and it's really helpful, but it's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And so Thomas Chalmers takes the, the, the verse in 1 John that says, do not love the world or things in the world. And so he begins walking through that. He says, okay, how do you obey that command? Do not love the world. He said, well, one way to do it is to just tell yourself over and over, don't love the world. Okay, here's why the world's bad. Don't do this. Here, here's the, the nature of the world. Here's the, and so he, he, he explains, you can overload yourself with how bad the world is. And he said, that might work for a while, but it won't accomplish lasting change. Instead, he says, you need to develop new affections to expel the old. And so he says, you can either look at the world and tell yourself how bad it is, or you can turn to Christ and have your affections warmed for him and developed for him, and then the world becomes nothing. I will sing the song in just a minute here. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Right? So, so looking to Jesus, beholding his face is what combats the love of the world, is what Chalmers says. And I think that's right. And so it's not enough just to say, hey, we've got to avoid these, these vices. We need to cultivate virtues, the, the positive side of, of pursuing these things. And so, so I'll just list these passages. Again, they're, they're, they're numerous lists here in the New Testament, but, but Romans 12, 9, all the way down through verse 21, there, there's a whole list. Um, so I, I, I'll just list them out here. So, so verses 9 through 21, Paul exhorts the Christians to, 
to genuine love, to hatred of evil, to steadfastness in what is good, to brotherly affection, to excel in showing honor, to be zealous, to be fervent in spirit, to serve the Lord, to be joyful in hope, to be patient in tribulation, to be constant in prayer, to be generous, to be hospitable, to bless your enemies, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep, to be harmonious, to be humble and not haughty, to to associate with the lowly, to be honorable, to be peaceable, not to repay evil for evil, but to overcome evil with good. So that's all in, in Romans 12, verses nine, all the way down through, I think, the end of chapter 12. So those are all positives. And another list here in, in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 15. And again, in both of these, in, in the Romans 12 and the Colossians 3, these lists are in the context, the exact same context of the putting off and putting on. And so it's in the context of put off and put on, and here's what you're to put on. And there's this list. So in Colossians 3, Verses 12 through 15, be to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, love, peace, gratitude. By the most well-known other passage, Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, the the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says, here's here's the the virtues to be pursued, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Or, or think about 1 Corinthians 13, the, the love chapter. And so he says, pursue love. And, and here are characteristics, patience, kindness, not envious, not boastful, not arrogant, not rude, not selfish, not irritable, not resentful. Doesn't take joy in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So, so these again are positive things, virtues for the Christian to pursue. 2 Peter 1 is is the last passage, last few verses I'll mention. But in all these passages, we see what Christian lives are to look like. We see the virtues or or characteristics, if that's a a better way for you to understand. They're they're characteristics that are typical for the Christian, that are in accordance with the new way of life. And growth in the Christian life looks like an increasingly common display of these things. Again, I'm not saying that, 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 that the Christian life progress is all positive and, and never any hiccups or never any struggles, right? It's, it's a process and it's, and it's strenuous. But the, the pattern is that you're increasingly looking more like Christ. This is the process of growth. The one thing that I'll say about, about this, which, which is helpful, but as we look at these lists and this process of growth, specifically as the, the list of virtues is concerned, Christian growth is not mainly or, or maybe most easily measured by quantity. So, so, so I at least tend to think of my Christian growth in terms of quantity. So how many, how many, how many Sundays have I missed in a row? Or how many days have I read the Bible each day? Or how many times have I prayed? Or how many times have I shared the gospel with, with a neighbor or a non-believer? And so I tend to gauge my Christian growth by, by quantity. I'm doing this. In a, and in my mind, my, my messed up mind tends to say, well, I'm doing really well because I'm doing all these things regularly and I'm improving. I'm doing it more and more, which may be true, but that's not the most basic way to measure growth because these lists seem to indicate that the pattern of piety, here, here's a quote, the pattern of piety or piety in the scriptures is more explicitly about our character. We put off sin and we put on righteousness. We put to death deeds of the flesh and we put on Christ. We pursue mortification of the old and vivification of the new. 
And so the primary target in Christian growth is our identity, who we are. And so growth is seen primarily in, in my character changing and me becoming a different person, not primarily what I'm doing. Because as, as we saw, or as we see in the life of Jesus, there are a lot of people walking around doing all the things they're supposed to do. So, so that's not always the healthiest way to measure, is external but instead, are, are we being transformed? Are we being changed form, tr- being changed? Not just our actions, but ourselves. And it starts with a new birth and it continues until the day that, as I mentioned earlier, we die or Christ returns. And so Christians grow. Christians are transformed. And so this is the, the positive aspect of growth. And this, as we've seen, is the work of the Spirit. And the good news for us, for for New Covenant believers, is that we have received the Spirit in full. So if you're a believer in Christ, if you've been united to Christ, you have been, the Spirit has been poured into your hearts. Love of God has been poured in your hearts through the Spirit. And so you have great hope in this process. You have great hope for progress. And then Lord willing, next week we'll, we'll look at specific ways, practically, that God transforms us, or the means of growth I mean, so Lord willing, we'll look at that next week. Well, let me, let me pray for us uh, as we close this morning.